0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Backstory. I'm your host, Alex Roberts. Friends, you may remember a few weeks ago I talked about opening up a Patreon so that people could support my independent creative work. Well, I've finally done it. If you've ever played and enjoyed my games and thought, I wish more of these existed in the world, well, you can make it happen. Come to patreon.com slash helloalexroberts, where you can support everything I'm doing that includes writing, game making, and possibly a few new audio projects I have in the works. I mean, anything could happen, right? There's a few reward tiers for you to pick, and we already have our first goal set up. If you want to be a part of it, see everything before the rest of the world does, and get access to a few little pieces of exclusive content along the way. Again, that's patreon.com slash helloalexroberts. I would be so pleased to have some folks from Backstory come and visit me there. Now, today's guest should need no introduction. If you listen to Backstory, I think the odds are pretty good that you listen to one of his shows as well. I'm talking, of course, about improviser, game designer, author, and game master James D'Amato, co founder of the One Shot Podcast Network. Let's just jump right in. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's going to sound fine. That, in theory, that's this the is magic. all great.
0: In in theory, we're good at this.
1: Mhm. <laughs> Got a combined 10 years of podcasting experience between us.
0: That's okay. Earlier, you said, "Well, you know, you've been podcasting just as long as I have." That cannot possibly be true. There is no way.
1: Maybe maybe not podcasting. Um, but I mean, how long before One Shot were you doing Tabletop Superhighway?
0: Gosh, maybe two years.
1: Two years? Maybe? Then
0: no, maybe, no, it was a year. It was like one year. Yeah.
1: If it if it was one year, you have been doing podcasts as long as I have been doing One Shot, which is five years. Um, Whoa! I have one extra year on you because I did the Overshare before One Shot for a single year. Or so.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. I I have heard the Overshare. I think. Or I heard you on some other podcast. Oh, you know what I discovered recently? What's that? I found the other group of people who were using G+.
1: Oh, who else? What other community?
0: I'll give you a hint. You'll never guess, but also when I tell you, you'll be like, oh, of course. Of course. And uh, listeners at home, put your guesses in, we're going to borrow the Gessetron 5000.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it is Linux people.
1: Oh! Yeah, uh, of course they would, Right? yeah, stubbornly refuse to leave a clearly dead service because it offered, like, one convenient thing.
0: Well, it didn't, it was actually, it was actually the superior, like, technically social network, right? Like, the options, you know, and the configurations and blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'm like... sure
1: it was that at launch, but, like, <laughs> but, like, now like up till the death of g it was unsupported for so long
0: yeah yeah it was truly a wasteland it's been interesting to see people kind of mourn g plus um because i i'm kind of i'm kind of there but i'm also like kind of not i don't know how much interaction did you have with that service
1: i was thoroughly an outsider um like i I tried to dive into g plus like two or three times and i found it difficult to gain purchase as somebody who wasn't there when the tabletop community started on on g plus like i had this burning desire to talk to you specifically um on on, through it because you were like i'm on g plus like after we did that interview for critical success however long ago you're like i'm on g plus and i'm like oh man there are so many people on g plus i'll try to be part of these conversations and also like shortly after i tried getting into g plus like zach s threatened me on g plus and it was like oh this is uh, hard to do it's it's like a, a skill a literacy that i just don't have and is not developing naturally so I sort of watched it like when G plus was in its heyday as like uh, sad from the outside, watching everybody else have these conversations that I didn't feel like I really had access to. Um, and like when it was dying off, I was just like quietly hoping, like, I'm hoping that it comes, this conversation comes to platforms that, that I feel like more comfortable with intuitively, but also at the same time, like I'm intimately aware of the problems that exist on my platform. And I, you know, I don't know if they exist on G So like I was mourning it for people's comfort because it seemed like everybody who liked G plus liked it because they felt safe and comfortable there
0: right which is is very odd right because it was also like a site of like not feeling like super safe and comfortable and like a lot of like just weird like it the advantage of sharing to a very specific circle which is a thing i definitely liked and did all the time and it was really handy but it also just meant that like it was very easy for conversations to happen that impacted you and that people that you knew were having but that you didn't know if you were in on or not, and like that was weird. And like you said, like it's also just still totally a place where like people like, you know, were like threatened and like harassed and like, like I also had this like really, um weird first step into it because I just I just like stumbled into G Plus because a friend of mine just shared one of like their their whole kind of gamer circle with me, and then. I I was just like okay I'm just going to like start I don't know commenting on things cuz I, I was never like a forum person either so I was very enthusiastic but it just led to me like stumbling into conversations where I had no business and being like hey w- what I don't get this what and like just I don't know it was very it was really bad
1: <laughs> Yeah yeah like I I felt that there's a decorum with with every different social media service right like um and I I feel like some i get in a way or like they work with my social anxiety in a way that like twitter is somebody will put something out there and you or or you will put something out there and people either engage with or don't engage with that thing and that's it's also very small and bite-sized so like like there are obviously problems with that especially being like so open and out there but it's like a thing that i get or with reddit which you know whew, uh but reddit is structured where somebody will post a laser focused specific topic and you will discuss that topic that's the expectation so and also like the structure of the site is divided into interests so you're selectively engaging with topics within a certain range of interest which for me, makes it easy to have conversations. I, I really don't participate in Reddit that much anymore, but it like was structured in a way that like I understood it and and how it worked, and I was able to engage with it. The same way with Twitter, whereas things like Instagram, I I feel completely illiterate with, and and G I like I felt very out of the loop uh, and difficult to engage with it, and like forum culture is such a cult of personality thing that it just makes me nervous getting near it even forums that are like very well curated to to hopefully not be that
0: yeah yeah definitely forums I've had like very very strange experiences with and yeah wouldn't wouldn't necessarily kind of like jump at that although I I recognize that it's like useful for people I think it's funny what you say about Instagram because for me that's like that's the one like kind of consistently happy making social media for me like it's actually like something like twitter is a hellscape we all know this now um but like instagram is is nice and like i'm so happy that there are more and more games people going on there and like i don't know it's just there's something about a platform where it's not like here's what i here's what's in my heart or my mind or whatever it's just like here's something that i think is beautiful the end oh it's just so good. It's so nourishing for me.
1: Oh, that's, that's really nice. I mean, for me with Twitter, like I want, I'm, I'm interested in what people have to say and I'm interested in stupid bits done by smart people that I respect. And like Twitter has such a density of that. Uh, there are so many people who are doing, you know, really interesting threads that are them thinking out loud and, and furthering a, a larger conversation, which is really cool. And there are people who, you know, Hey, feet, that's pretty funny. Right. Uh, <laughs> and th- that that's like very nourishing. I, I say this um, and I think it rightfully horrifies so many people, but Twitter is kind of part of my self care because of how, friendly to an add structure uh to to like thinking patterns works like i scroll between many many different subjects and it it sort of rewards that frenetic uh, attention um in a way and like i've i've tried to cultivate it so that you know even though that you see so many horrifying things on twitter all the time like i am mostly seeing things that don't horrify me. I'm mostly seeing things that like friends say, and and that's pretty good.
0: I think it really is too that I like you really do need to kind of cultivate your own feed and block with abandon, for sure. And and one thing I like I do like going on Twitter and seeing things that challenge me sometimes. You know, or things that remind me of things that are like difficult, and and I think that's why I still have both like twitter and instagram on my phone is because yes first of all occasionally there is a tweet that makes me laugh so hard that i'm like twitter how could i stay away why i'm sorry i said all those awful things about
1: you (laughs) (laughs) give me the trash please i'll take all that rough for this diamond
0: (laughs) but then it it is also this like perfect counterpoint to instagram where People are talking about things that are not beautiful and but that are important to remember. You know, people are saying like, hey, you know, this is something I'm seeing a lot that bothers me or this is something that I think is important that we need to address or this is something I I regret. There's a lot of like I regretfully must inform you or like I regretfully must announce like Twitter is the place to do that. Yeah. And and no, it's not like as as sweet and lovely as Instagram usually is for me. But like, yeah. I don't know. I guess that maybe that might be why I haven't totally stayed away.
1: Yeah, Twitter is a place that I generally, I feel like I see a lot of conversations that I wouldn't see unless I happen to be in exactly the right room at 11 p.m. at a convention.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's it's interesting. And I I do remember the good times on G+, which for me were were pretty brief and not recent. But that was... That was a very cool place and a cool time. It was definitely where I got introduced to a lot of people who I'm, like, close friends with now, which that's pretty wild and is not usually an Internet thing for me. Is to eventually have, like, true friends emerge from it.
1: That's so interesting. I feel like... I see I mean maybe I don't know where you're cultivating a lot of these friendships but I feel like I see you walk into a convention and it's just a room full of old friends that you you know easily swim between. <laughs> but
0: I but I make friends at conventions. I I just I like meeting people in person. I like meeting people face to face and being in a an environment where it's completely acceptable to be like hey, person I've never met before, like, what's your entire deal? Like, let's play a game together where we will get to know each other in a really intense way. And then after we can, like, stay up till 3 a.m. talking about it. I mean, I don't know. This is not sustainable and it's not really my life anymore. But, like, it was for a long enough period that that now I, <laughs> I have gamer friends.
1: It's so interesting to me that you think of that as not a piece of your life anymore because it's really just been a year maybe even less than a year since you haven't operated that way
0: man life is weird also james how did you how did you twist this around and make this about me <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh alex i mean that's because uh, anytime i have a conversation with you i'm just so fascinated about your perspective that i have to know it it's going to be really hard to be interviewed
0: who's yeah who's running this who's running this show right now james
1: the first, the first time we met was was uh, through the context of me interviewing you, and I guess that modality is is just never going to go away.
0: Oh, perhaps yeah, we're just stuck in that loop forever. That's right. You interviewed me for Critical Success, mm-hmm. which is something I really enjoyed. Lots of people really enjoyed. I can one hundred percent understand why it doesn't exist anymore because it's like it's a very difficult format. The like I'm just going to talk about stuff me personally. Um, for an hour, that's it's a bonkers one to keep up the like audio essay thing.
1: Audio essays, it, it was tough. It like is tough from a lot of different angles too. Because with critical success, uh, as I got into it later, I, I used to just improvise those conversations with myself. I would talk, I would say a thing, and you know, hit stop if I felt like oh, I could have phrased that better, and just sort of write the essay like that. And about halfway through Critical Success, when it was already kind of pod faded, somebody pointed out that it was in- intensely difficult for them to get meaning out of these things because they-, they had audio processing issues and, like, they they wanted an accompanying transcript. And, you know, for a long time that was completely infeasible with actual place stuff. But I was like, okay, with critical success, this is a place that I actually have an opportunity to provide that service. So I would write out the essay and then I would read the essay and edit that and then edit my transcript transcript to reflect that. And like, it was a whole thing. Um, and meanwhile, one shot and Campaign were, were just doing better and better. And it got harder and harder to justify keeping up critical success even though in the beginning when I started doing critical success its download numbers would be better than one shot so it was like here's this thing that is really popular and people are really engaging with but I couldn't justify continuing to do it and I guess thankfully these days I have the books and that kind of fills that gap that is where I am like explaining things and and breaking them down and having that kind of academic conversation for the second book i'm probably going to try and put together like two or three episodes of critical success just so like i have a a promotional lead-in to to that book because i i see them as extreme extremely related in terms of what i'm doing
0: OK, let's let's open that a little bit, because I so I, I, I've read the first book. It's it's in the bookshelf over my head right now, actually, which is like very much this kind of workbook where you're it's it's a se- selection of exercises where you can like build a backstory for your character. It has this beautiful kind of lonely, fun thing to it uh, where it's it's just such a nice recognition that like actually for a lot of games, the most fun part is making a character <laughs> and then like maybe you'll get
1: <laughs> it's so weird nobody talks about it like i hadn't heard lonely fun as a term until uh that book came out and like i had been talking about the, the concept of you know the rpg related stuff that you do completely completely alone and i, I called it personal play And I've also heard the term now Barbie play uh, and like this is a concept that universally no matter where you look has a bad name to accompany it like it either sounds like a terrible innuendo or is degrading to the activity and like other activities like nothing uh, I think has ruffled my feathers so much as hearing Barbie play uh, because like every context that it came up was just like demeaning the idea of personal play and also at the same time demeaning playing with Barbies uh, which both things are extremely good and cool so why? Why are we doing this? Why? why?
0: Yeah, like it's just, that's just failing on all all points. <laughs>
1: but but yeah, like that that was one of the things that I wanted to do with this because like this first book was wild because it was a concept that the publisher came to me with. They were like, "We want a accessory book to role playing games uh, that will help people do things with their characters," and like I had been talking about personal play like really mostly in interviews and at conventions for a very long time. And somebody, you know, just came along and was like, hey, uh, we're going to give you a platform to engage with this idea that that you find so fascinating. So it was like very cool that I was just like, okay, how do I gamify this thing that happens naturally? Uh, what what ways am I going to try and cultivate uh, and nurture this activity and this experience that I know is meaningful to so many of my friends Um, because I look at games and like they did not do that. Um, They sort of treat personal play activities as like an incidental thing that like a lot of games recognize, oh yeah, this is necessary for the activity. You're not going to do the activity without this, but you are on your own for this. Like our rule set is not going to cover this.
0: And so you, you wanted to intentionally maybe create that to be a good experience rather than just kind of like leaving it open, doing whatever.
1: Exactly. Like I wanted to, you know, I wanted to give people game mechanics and structure that they could latch on to. And the conceit that I had to go with that the publisher provided for me was it has to be a hundred things. No matter what this book is, at the end of the day, it needs to be a hundred different things because that's kind of what our publisher does. Um, so it was like an interesting constraint to work within. I essentially had to be like, okay, what are different angles that I can take on the same thing? And like, you know, reading my reviews for the book, especially the the negative ones, like you, you'll see things that like, oh, you know, it feels like some of these exercises are filler, or or they're not particularly fo- focused, or they're chasing after this in a, a, a way that doesn't work for me. And like that's kind of the design intention of the book. Like I wanted to try a bunch of different things because I know the sorts of things that would make me engage and that that would hold my attention. But I am not somebody who does a lot of personal play stuff. I was kind of imagining a, a game playing audience, like a design audience that I was uh, serving that doesn't quite function the way I do i mentioned this a lot but uh cat is a person who her experience of games like actually playing a character that she comes up with is ultimately a lot more dis is like disappointing compared to the idea she had of like the platonic ideal of that character in her head and i was trying to take like okay if that's a member of your audience, if you have somebody maybe who's never played a role-playing game before and they feel very intimidated about the experience, how do you distill kind of a personal role-playing experience down to make it less scary? How do you take somebody who's like a fan fiction author and they just really like thinking about characters and engaging stuff like that? So I, I tried to net all of these different things of like, this is who I think might be into personal play stuff. I want to make sure that each person there has a selection of maybe a dozen activities that feel really up their alley. And and the book gets to skew out in a bunch of different directions, like like a sea urchin, um, just sort of tailoring to very specific experiences.
0: Hmm. James, what I'd really like to respond to is uh, the fact that you read negative reviews of your own book. uh, Why... um... (laughs) To what end?
1: Um, Well, I mean, to what end is interesting. Uh, Like, I will say that the publicist for the book, like the way uh, big publishing operates in terms of how we're going to produce a work, is very strategic and formulaic. Like, after the first book came out, my publicist uh, found and like categorized every review that I had, and my editor analyzed all of those reviews and said okay here is what those reviews are saying um so people really liked this aspect of the book and like one of the most consistently criticized aspects of the book is that it feels very geared towards the fantasy genre like like you know your sword and sorcery d and d d and d style role-playing genre uh so they're like in in book two in your next book we want you to have a multi-genre focus so you're you're not just doing fantasy thing like you're trying to hit every genre under the sun to make people feel like it's it's you know catering to more interests than that so there is like a very uh, detailed and scientific thing of we're looking at these negative reviews because we're trying to make a book that is, I mean, for lack of a better term, like lowest common denominator, like pleasing everybody in as many ways as possible. Um, and sort of like channeling this wide net experience down into those specific facets that are going to resonate with with certain people more than others. Um, but I kind of read a lot of reactions uh to my work. Um and you know, maybe it's not super healthy, um, but it, it's a thing like I have always been doing one shot and like the things associated with it with the mindset of I'm I'm trying to do this as responsibly as possible and I take criticism very seriously. Um, and you know, there are certain things that roll right off my back. Like if anybody complains that like, oh, you know, one shot has, is too liberal or or one shot is not, uh, showing off the work of, of straight white male game designers this year, like that rolls off my back because I'm like, yeah, that, that was my intention. If you're, uh, upset about that, like that is a you issue, not a me issue, but other things like I, I, will get criticism over like, audio quality or you know people envisioning different things for games like one one piece of criticism that really resonated with me is people there was a subset of people that really didn't like our urban shadows episode of one shot because they felt we didn't uh treat the system seriously or 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 show off what worked about it and like I have to agree with them that that's true. You know, One Shot did a very kind of silly thing. We, we, we took this concept that is, you know, dark and broody uh, uh, crime, true crime genre, not true crime, but crime genre uh, getting mixed with like urban fantasy stuff. And we did a a very silly thing like where we would make fun of Chicago and say that, all the alderman districts are like interlocking mazes of of gerrymandered nonsense and you know there were cartoon wizards and billy zane showed up and it was just like a super silly frivolous thing that i know sold copies of urban shadows but on the other hand like i certainly didn't treat that system with like the respect or reverence that i've approached uh the watch or even something like like feng shui 2 where the feng shui 2 episodes are very silly but we engaged with them as seriously as we could so I, i get a lot of different criticism like that and and i try my best to take it seriously and and some of it uh rolls off me uh some of it resonates with me and i try to do better and some of it is, you know, just hurtful, and that's part of life.
0: <laughs> Dang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes people on the internet hurt your feelings. Uh, yep. I mean, there's really not too much to <laughs> say about that that has not been said. <laughs> it has to be dealt with on the inside.
1: Yeah, if anybody is finding out about this aspect of life for the first time through Backstory, I'm very sorry to tell you that sometimes people will say things that hurt your feelings.
0: Sometimes people will say things and you will feel hurt about it, but you will live, which is cool. You you do survive and you do keep on Which is
1: cool and also bad, Yeah,
0: honestly. Yeah, it is actually. <laughs> of- okay, wow. <laughs> um, you know, one of the reasons I brought up critical success is actually because one of the main things i wanted to talk to you about on the show besides besides your new book that's yet to come out we'll totally talk about that later we totally talk about actual play but there is something that i heard you talk about on critical success years ago that i would love to jump back into Ooh! and that is doing doing character voices
1: oh yeah sure
0: there was a really, really wonderful article. I don't know if you read it by Mendez Hodes, um, former Backstory guest, about how to, you know, some do's and don'ts of playing people who are like of a different cultural and ethnic background than you. Yes, And that article is just like packed with really, really helpful, useful, really just like clearly and well explained um, information. It's it's absolutely worth a read. Really, really just like it's good stuff go read it i'll i'll put a link in the show notes but um, one of the things that he mentions is uh, don't do ethnic accents and it's good advice yeah um <laughs> just don't uh, you can you can read the article but uh, the quick summary is don't don't do that and so one of the things that i heard people talking about after that was like oh i i, I want to do voices like i understand you know the reason not to do like an accent that could be You know hurtful to someone else but okay what are like what are the other ways that i can modify my voice that that gives characters some like distinguishability especially when you have like a world full of like npcs and stuff that's happening so i I I thought it would be interesting to just bring you on and like talk about that.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, well, like I will say, I think even in that episode of Critical Success, I actually recommended Accents, which if you compare that Critical Success episode to uh, the character creation cast, or I guess character evolution cast uh, episode that I did on character voices, my views on that have evolved somewhat. Uh, You know, like regarding Accents, I will say ultimately your table is probably a private place. You're you're probably not doing this for actual play. For for actual play, I really cannot recommend enough uh not doing an ethnic accent of any kind. Um uh if if like you're at your table, um you know, you've gotta you can proactively talk to your friends and, and set your own comfort levels just like uh, you can in any game. Um so don't feel Fully discouraged from that. Just, just be aware of that. You can hurt people just by doing voices. Uh, like, you you can hurt people very badly, and that hurts everything around that. Um, so, it, like, that's that's so important to keep in mind, even in private spaces.
0: Abs- absolutely. I well, I I just want to reinforce too. Like, there even even if it seems like okay, there's no one around who could be hurt by this. You can still be reinforcing things that are not good to reinforce, even if you think that, like, your actions don't directly cause anyone harm. Anyway, but but certainly, as you were saying, if it's for an actual play that other people are hearing, yeah, maybe, like, double or triple down on that uh, that care.
1: Yeah, and I will... If you are going to do something, know why you are doing it um, and try your best not to hurt people when you do it. Going through Second City, one of the things that you're taught is really if you're going to do an accent, it probably should be from a – it's the punching up instead of punching down ethos. uh, And you are going to be doing it from a perspective of – not lampooning the person but lampooning the character that you're doing if you're doing a ridiculous or broad accent um but this is like kind of diverting from that subject a little bit uh uh like
0: yeah right so that the the point is ways to modify your voice that are not accent related
1: (laughs) and there are so many cool ways uh that a person can modify what they are doing to sound different from themselves um There's this concept in improv that I find really useful called changing your spine. And the idea is that every person uh, has a particular way that they carry themselves, a way that they stand up or, or sit up when they're having a conversation, a way that they walk, a way that they move. And that if you as an actor change your personal posture there's like a a ripple effect, a domino effect, uh, that moves throughout you to create a different character. Um, and even if they sound very similar to you, the, the slight change in posture or change in the way you speak creates a new character because you don't always sit up straight. You maybe slouch a little bit and a version of you that sits up straight is actually a different person doing that with voices like that's how you create different characters so if i were to speak a little bit faster um, and maybe have uh, kind of a clipped way that i speak suddenly i become a different person who experiences the world differently and maybe asks myself questions and and it gets nervous about those questions that i ask as i ask them So like that small thing of, okay, yeah, I'm just going to try as an actor or a role player to speak faster. And that precipitates a dozen, uh, you know, maybe subconscious and completely imperceptible character choices that make a new person. And you can mix and match the different ways that you do that and create different people that sound and behaved in incredibly distinct ways without straight up launching yourself into an accent.
0: Mhm yeah. I mean, I one thing I I really did like that I recall, I haven't listened to the episode in a long time, is that you really explained how if if you are a dude to do the accent of a lady because there's so many really bad ways to do that, like like when dudes put on like I'm a girl voice, it doesn't like offend me, it's just like bad and funny. But you you talked about it just like kind of like softening your voice slightly like I don't know I, I forget how you explained it
1: yeah so uh like and and this is something that's actually evolved for me too but the core lesson that we got uh, at the conservatory in second city for like if you are a dude how to play a lady character or if you are a lady character how to play a dude is that any character that you're trying to play you're always trying to play that character to the top of their intelligence So if your bit is I'm getting on stage as a lady and I'm going to say things that, you know, I look down on ladies for saying like that's a shitty thing to do and it sucks real bad. Um, And a lot of the things that people pick up on is like broad, terrible characteristics that they recognize in a particular sex or gender. And, and they're lampooning that. Like, how many times have you been around your mother or, or some other woman who has done an impression of, of their male partner and they sound like this? Like, <laughs> such a common mom bit. And believe me, it's a hot bit. And I, I love it to death. But it's not a way to respectfully play a character. Like, you have to envision that when I'm going to do this, I'm going to play a person who speaks like this. I'm not playing a caricature of a person. So if you are a dude, a a thing to think about is that, yeah, like the way you speak is probably in a deeper register and it's probably harsher too. And so softening your voice is a first step to creating a feminine thing. And Obviously I, as, as a male person, like I, I could talk like this conceivably, uh, you could speak to a lot of guys who talk like this and you could speak to a lot of women who talk like this too, uh, and have a deeper register to their voice. And so the question is really, are you authentically representing that character? Is that character authentically who they are, no matter what their sex or gender is Um, Are are you being true to that person? And then the voice that you're doing ends up kind of being right. Like on on Skyjacks, I have put a lot of, you know, very burly, uh, butch female characters on screen, um, mainly because I feel like you don't see a lot of them in a lot of places, not, not just actual play. And more than one female NPC on Skyjack's, I am deepening my voice for because I know if that character was a person, they would be talking in a deeper tone than me. And even like a more aggressive tone than me uh, that a lot of people might read as masculine. But I'm, you know, this is a female character. It's I'm trying to capture what I think that person is.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we're really getting at coming up with not the categories of a person and then applying those categories, but really like coming up with those variables and like tweaking those variables. You know, this person sounds a little bit more feminine, uh, this a little bit less sing-song, a little more sing-song, a little... Uh, Faster, a little slower. Uh, like, I like the idea of that kind of mixing board.
1: That's what a person is. That's like, especially in an audio format, if you change one thing about the way you behave, one thing about the way you speak, you are changing your person. And you do this between different social groups like it's not just i'm gonna sit down at a role-playing table and i'm going to play a character that i like to play it's i'm different with one group of friends than i am with another group of friends those are all like different characters that are all variations based on the core me um that exists and like the me that i am alone and in my head is like even very different Uh, than a lot of other contexts so it's all a big mixing board and there's no one thing that makes you uh, a character or or not a character because like your characters all the time and you've got so many options and ethnic accents like they're so far down uh the list of like different things that you can do to to lend your voice character or to make Make it feel like you are a distinct person from from your regular personage uh, when you're at the role playing table. That for most people, it's just really not consi- worth considering.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're making me think now, like about like podcast podcast voice versus like phone voice versus like office voice versus like talking on my sister versus like the you know talking to randoms you know the customer service voice like we all really do like have those different voices
1: yeah i will say man alex you present your voice in podcasting is so much more (laughs) professional and put together and like i think there's even a little bit of authority to it versus the very casual easy voice that you have in convention settings
0: well, thank you, thank you. Actually, because I really do try to keep a professional, like relatively, sometimes on the podcast. And every now and then, I recognize when I just kind of like get caught up in, in just the conversation that I'm having with the person, and it it can it can be a little. Yeah, well, it can be a little less podcast
1: voice. <laughs> uh, but I, I like it that that's actually part of a rhythm of an interviewer conversation, like the ways or, or where it makes you break, because like, I'm sure people are going to notice throughout this interview that we've had, like there are times where I'm diving into Explanation James and Explanation James is very interested in the particular subjects that he's talking about. And he's also trying to form the ideas as he says them. So I will talk more slowly and I will kind of punctuate every word that I say with a little bit of a point versus like the the fun James, who is just like indulging in everything that, that he enjoys and and getting to talk to one of his very best friends in the world like they're subtle subtle differences and one of the cool things about the backstory podcast is we get to wade into these like deeply intellectual waters where where people explore their thoughts and we tie that into periods where people get to feel their feelings Mm,
0: that's good yay (laughs) (laughs) You should always come on the show and just talk about how good it is.
1: Um, (laughs) Alex, I would (laughs) if I could. (laughs)
0: Because that's the best way to make something good is just to tell your audience that it is good. And then they'll be like, oh, well, they did say it.
1: (laughs) People, yeah, people don't want to be shown anything. They want you to tell. You got
0: to tell them. You got to tell them. That's what I always say. And I say, um, I never show it. (laughs) You know, speaking of telling and showing, um, we should talk about actual play because it's something that you've been doing for, I think, like in the span of how long actual play has existed, like kind of a really long time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I Like, boy, we started one shot probably a year after Nerd Poker was on the air. And like there are other things, Nerd Poker was just the thing that inspired my boss, or at the time my boss pat o'rourke to like have me do an actual play thing so it's really was like such a young uh type of media when when i got into it and i've i've been in it now for so long i've seen it evolve and change in a lot of different ways
0: i mean we can talk about like actual play and what what its impact on the community are and what's happening there and you know, what does it mean for people who are getting into playing now and how that's impacting? And I don't know. That's actually like a really massive conversation that I feel like is happening in enough other places that I don't really feel the need to like get into it because I'm, I'm actually very curious about like under the hood of, of one shot and campaign. I'm I'm curious about making it continue to be a creatively satisfying project for you when it has gotten to the point where it needs to kind of continue to be popular like that, that's a struggle.
1: It is a struggle. And I think uh, this year it has been a struggle more than any other year. Um, (laughs) I I, like with one shot, one shot is kind of structurally. It works to satisfy me as a creative uh, in a way that like almost no other program could. Because I get to explore different genres, I get to explore different formats for telling stories. I get to work with different casts. Um, as an ADD person, like there, sometimes I just want to look at something, play around in that area, and then drop it and leave it. Um, and that leads that leads to a lot of broken hearts. Um, I, I've got a friend who very recently has been listening to like everything that one shot has done um and hearing him like his experience of us going through these different things like there are so many times where he said oh man i wish you had kept going on with with this particular story i would have loved to follow those characters and on one shot like there are plenty of stories that I think have legs and and we could have followed those characters for a short campaign or or maybe something that just goes on for years and years and years, but we don't I, I try to tell a complete story and you know weave a sort of universe that is good enough that it could have been something longer like that, that's a big thing uh, that you kind of learn in improv is. There's this like very kind of heady mindset that they teach you in IO that when you see an improv scene, it is a window into a universe where you are watching one of the most important moments in those characters' lives. Like there is a reason that you get to see these two characters in this place have this conversation rather than any other time in their existence. And and as a performer, that's what you're trying to cultivate um you know for one shot you know it's oftentimes we we only feature a game once like we have returned to games and characters and whatnot plenty of times but usually it's just the one shot that they get at it and i'm trying to go okay what makes this game cool and fun what what makes it click uh if people are considering buying this what is the thing that is going to get them the most excited what calls out to the core audience that exists for this particular game and i try to build an experience around that um and it's always uh, a unique and fun challenge for me it's always uh a like rewarding thing to, to try and put together the perfect cast for that. And it very frequently uh, produces a artistic piece that, that I am happy with and and proud of. Um, So one shot is sort of always set up to be interesting. So I have a lot of flexibility for the things that I can do with it. Like there are publishers who will commission episodes and like, whether I was considering doing a game or not, I am doing that game or, you know people will purchase uh stuff for us to show off adventure modules and like now i'm telling somebody else's story but i've got to do it in a one-shot way um And like this year, I took a look at our long history of the different times that we've had games on the show, and I determined that, wow, there's a lot of one particular group of designer that's been thoroughly represented on this program. And, you know, marginalized designers make up a tiny fraction of of our history. So let's, let's address that and let's look in one particular area. Um, and so I'm always trying to like morph and change it, uh, based on, you know, not just what I think is going to be fun, uh, for the audience, not just what I think is going to be a cool game for me and my players to explore, but like what needs to be in front of the community? How can we be like the responsible show that, that we all wish and hope was, was out there. Um, and sometimes that upsets people like this year in particular, it, it, Seems like, and it's hard to say because Simplecast changes its metrics all of the time, uh, but it seems like we've lost about a thousand listeners uh, because I have embarked on this journey where, where, We've just really said, hey, for this year, we're going to leave this category alone. And I, I did that because I don't want any cis white male game designers coming to me and saying, hey, will you show off my game? And for me to tell them no, and then for them to walk away thinking, well, I guess my game is not good enough. I guess I'm not good enough. Like... I, it's it's so hard to be rejected, and I know that feeling. So I, I want to be very clear with people. It's like it's not because of your game, it's not because of your skill. It's because I have committed to doing this thing, and I'm very serious about this thing. Um, and I like I, I'm sorry if you don't support that, but like that's that's why it has it has nothing to do with you. It's it's all about me, and and like that that has upset people. And like you know, it it's hard to say. <sighs> like I, I want to be like, ah, oh, yeah, screw, screw those folks for for not uh being on board with this ideology. Like I, I, do think if I had done this thing and just not told anybody about it, uh, in a year, I could have said, hey, we did this whole year, and there wasn't a, a there was nary a cis white male designer, uh, on the show, uh, for this one. Um, and people would not have noticed during that entire time. And, and they would have only gotten upset in retrospect. Um, but you know, like I, I couldn't do that. So I, I deal with that in real time. And like, also, you know, it, it, I can't ignore the fact that, uh, the co-founder of the network has also walked away and maybe even though Kat had, almost nothing to do with the show, the stuff that ended up on one shot, except for being a performer from time to time. Like people might go, well, if Kat's not there, I'm really not going to be a supporter of this network anymore. So thinking of structuring one shot to be a thing that like has to be popular to keep me around and alive, like that's a difficult challenge. And it's been a difficult challenge for campaign too, uh, because now having to step into Cat's considerably large shoes to to run an ongoing uh, show, because the campaign feed is like next to one shot; it's the most popular feed on the network, uh, and it is a feed that employs people. You know, I, I had uh, we were paying our performers before and they don't depend on that as their primary income, but it definitely is a good supplemental income to what they were receiving. Um, and now campaign has an editor too. So it's, it's helping employ someone else. Like it is a big sustaining thing. One, one shot in campaign together more than any other show on the network provide the money that helps us make all of the other shows that we do. So the new thing that we had to do that, that we did like had to be popular. But we also, I didn't want to do another thing based on a licensed property because you, you can't do as much fun, cool stuff. Like we can't make a Leenik Gilo t-shirt because Rodians are a thing that Disney owns. Um, Great.
0: Right. Good point. <laughs> I had never thought of that.
1: <laughs> it's, it's like one of the things like a lot of people assumed like, okay, you're going to do more Star Wars stuff. And it's like, well, no, Cat leaving the show is honestly provides an opportunity to both me and my performers uh, to leave star wars as a thing that we have to take even though it means we are stepping away from the most popular thing ever you know like when you yeah, think of star yeah. wars as an entertainment <laughs> property it's just so huge and so popular like and but we had to leave it behind we absolutely had to leave it behind because we don't own it um, and as much as like I think we definitely are doing a fair use product demonstration thing for fantasy flight games with with that uh system like it 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 was just so artistically restrictive in in a very tough way so we we had to build our own thing and like we kind of had to craft that in a way that everybody at the table was interested in uh and then i as as the gm in this case like had to figure out a way to present an audience with the ideas that we put together when we made this new thing in a way that would make sense to them and also not feel like a boring lecture on things that don't exist so like storytelling wise, there's this interesting challenge within campaign where like, I know it needs to be popular because I've got to sustain this network and I've got to sustain these people. And I'm really interested in the things that, that I'm doing with the other performers at that table. And like, we're really excited about our fun, cool story, but I gotta put it out there in a way that's going to let people come along with us on that journey. Um, And it's, it it leads to a very different kind of play than the sort of play that I do even at one shot or the sort of, and especially the sort of play that I would do if I were privately playing a role-playing game with just me and my friends.
0: I want to ask, when was the last time you did that?
1: Um, well, that depends heavily on your definitions there, Alex, uh, because, uh, a lot of time when I'm playing role playing games now I'm play testing. Does play testing count?
0: play testing totally counts
1: okay then then really, it's just a handful of weeks ago uh i I have been play testing uh oh captain my captain uh quite a oh. bit trying to nail down <laughs> stuff that's right <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Do we do we want to talk about that?
1: Oh, sure, sure. I am super excited to talk about that. That's so. Oh, Captain, my Captain is a hack that I have made of Alex's as of yet unreleased game for the Queen.
0: For the Queen is for the Queen is technically released because you can get it on Roll Twenty.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So go yeah. go out. So get, you can
0: you can pre-order it. Yeah, pre-order the physical, and you can get the the roll 20 version if you like that
1: yeah so like go get this game because it is a very cool good a game that is both intense and emotionally fulfilling but also can be played very casually like for the queen one of the brilliant things of its design is that it is a role-playing game that you can play in a satisfying 30 minutes there are so few games that are actually satisfying in a 30 minute time period. There are a lot of games that advertise it, but I see almost none of them pull it off. Uh, So it's a very cool game and I think people should experience it, Uh, but it deeply inspired me right away because For the Queen is about these people uh, who are investigating their relationship with a queen. So it's somebody who has power over them. There's there's a lot of unbalanced power in this relationship. And many of the questions like lead you to feelings of complexity about the relationship. Uh, the, the queen can be very very bad uh they can be nebulous you can feel good about certain things that they do um but because one of the facts of the game is that your character no matter what is in love with the queen like that relationship looks very complicated um and i have been doing a lot of stuff uh about pirates because that's uh one of the central conceits of the new campaign and I, as a person, uh, think about heroes quite a bit because I'm into it. Like, I, did, I don't just call people heroes on one shot because, uh, like, it, it was a fun, silly thing to do, even though that is a major influence behind why I chose that phrase. Uh, but I like heroic narratives. I I, I find heroic characters really interesting. And my relationships with with people that I consider inspirational or or heroes to me, like, can be very complicated and even fraught at times. And I wanted to take an opportunity to investigate hero worship as an idea, the ways that it's negative, because I feel like that's kind of obvious, but also the ways that it can be positive. So I structured this game, "O Captain, My Captain," to investigate the relationship a crew of pirates, or, or you know, individual crew members on a pirate ship, have with their pirate captain. Um, to sort of like think about through narrative what what's this hero worship thing all about.
0: So it's been fun to play test.
1: It's been wildly fun to play test. I, I say this at the beginning of every playtest, and I truly mean it. Uh, if there is something good about the design of the game right now, that's that's all on Alex because you laid <laughs> you laid the structural groundwork that allows this thing to exist, and it's beautiful and brilliant. But it's it's such a good format for both. Uh, Getting at people's thoughts because I, I've said this before in many different ways. I think uh, people are more honest through fiction than they are in almost any other context. Like you, you will lie to your diary, but you will not lie in your fan fiction. Like <laughs> it, it, the conversation format and for the queen is so fascinating because of the things that that people will will put out there about themselves and and the the poignancy at which they they express those thoughts is is really cool. So it's been very fulfilling and like it's one of the play tests that I have enjoyed doing the most. But yeah, most of the time these days like if I'm doing a game, it's recorded. But that's also because that's my preference.
0: Okay, whoa, really?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I feel bad almost every time I play a game and it's not recorded because I've lost it.
0: Oh no, James, this is just like when we were talking about stickers.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the fact that the majority at this point, the overwhelming vast majority of my gaming experiences have been captured on audio is is such a blessing to me. Like it's fun to revisit those stories. There there are things about one shot and campaign that I don't remember until I listened back to them. I was recently putting together a voiceover reel for, for auditioning and stuff. And I was trying to get clips from old one shot episodes and put them in. And like, I was just laughing, uh, like getting put back in that place uh, of me and my friends playing together at that particular time is beautiful and magical and like recently, Alex and I played a game of For the Queen uh, with our friends Alan and Clara that got lost uh, because Zencaster did it bad.
0: Yeah, Zen- Zencaster was bad that day.
1: They they did they did a bad one on this on this one, and it it hurts it hurts not to have that, uh, not to be able to like self reflect in that way. Uh, there are there's something to be said about things being impermanent and, and, you know, living only in memory and like, that's when you have them. Uh, but I kind of regret it when, when I don't do that. Like there's more than one, uh, game that I've done as part of listener birthday game, uh, stuff that I've recorded or, or that I haven't recorded and I've walked away and I'm gone, man, I wish that I I had that. Like I, I would like to revisit that. I would like To share that with other people and I don't have that opportunity. Um, And I also think people play better and more respectfully when they are recording something. One thing that like recording, especially for a podcast, necessitates that you do is not talk over each other because nobody can hear that audio if two people are talking at the same time. It's very distracting and very hard. So it's this outside force that says one person talks at a time and you better friggin' listen to that person while they're talking. So even people that I might not enjoy playing with, I I still have fun with because they're doing the subtle things that I think everyone needs to do in order to collaborate. Well,
0: that's I, I had never thought of it that way. Like I don't, I don't necessarily dislike recorded play but like it's never ever ever my preference and i'll just kind of do it because like i like playing and i understand their advantages to like recording and sharing it i i inherently really dislike it but i don't know where that's coming from now that i'm thinking about it
1: that that's i mean that's fascinating i like and i fully respect that not everybody is like me right (laughs) Not everybody is going to enjoy uh, playing games for a record the way I do. Uh, I I feel very blessed that this is my preferred way of doing this thing. It creates a type of environment uh, that I really like. I haven't encountered too many people like being in this and feeling reluctant to share it's and and part of this is because this is who i'm casting in these particular games but it's almost always people really pushing to create something together even if that thing is like a very frivolous and silly bit like they're they're really giving it their all and i think it shows in the recordings that we put together so that to to me like that is one of my preferred ways to play uh our first game of StarCrossed Alex. Like, I, I would have loved <laughs> to have been able to hold on to that because there were some cool moments and visuals that, like, really at this point, I remember the fiction so much more vividly than I remember the experience of playing that thing.
0: Oh my gosh, me too! Like I can picture, I can picture that that space station so easily. I,
1: I, I, like I get returned there in a second. I picture my character's face. I I picture the the holographic like. Uh, Format of, of of that AI on that oh, ship, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but with our our Starcross that we played for one shot, not only do I I vividly live in that fiction, right? That that fiction is like the primary thing. But if I listen to the episode, I also get to revisit who we were in that space. I was editing part of it uh, on the blooper reel recently. And like just, you know, things, things that we took out, uh, things where we got sidetracked or, or what have you. And I just remember how fun it was to even set that thing up and, and how special each moment or, or tense each pull felt. It immerses me in the memory of what happened in a way that feels very meaningful to me.
0: I can't argue with that. I cannot I cannot call that into question. That's so precious. <laughs> See, this this is a new perspective on like actual play that I'm getting. This is what I wanted to to dig into because I want people to have the conversation about like what does it mean that so many people are exposed to actual play? What does it mean like the kinds of actual play that are popular and whatever whatever whatever. We can talk about the impact on the community and the industry or whatever, but I I always just I want to know what's going on in people's hearts. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, of
1: course. Yeah. Uh,
0: We mentioned very briefly that you're working on a second book um, with your publisher. And this one is not about developing an individual character's backstory. This is like a guide to to creating a campaign. Am I correct?
1: Yes. So this is tentatively titled. And I, I want to point out before we go any further that I do not pick the titles for these books. I'm allowed to make suggestions. But the publishers pick the titles.
0: That actually sounds like a blessing. I hate titling things. I would love for some like powerful entity to just be like, it's called this.
1: I, I mean, in in a certain respect, I mean, that's what happened to you with "For the Queen," right? So,
0: oh my gosh, you're right. That is actually, oh yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so like, it, it's 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 good to not have that pressure in a certain sense, um, but in another sense, they've also. Called all of these things the ultimate whatever guide, uh, which is a lot to like live up to. And some of the snarkier comments on, uh, like negative comments of reviews about the book are like, "This is hardly an ultimate anything." And I'm like, "Well, I never really intended it to be an <laughs> ultimate anything." That's <laughs> what the publisher called it because they are better at creating titles that will sell books than I am. Uh, so, whatever. Um, But this is called The Ultimate Narrative RPG Guide. Um, And this is a book that people have been asking me to write for years in a certain way uh, because it is my advice book on how to run or play in an RPG, specifically to have a fulfilling narrative experience while you do that. So uh, like people really loved critical success, but it is a show that ultimately like I had to stop doing. I just didn't have the time to keep that show going. Um, but I do have a lot of thoughts about, you know, role-playing and like how, how you can do it effectively or, or really more than that, what works for me as a role-player? Um, cause I think, As as a person who produces actual play, I also listen to and watch a lot of actual play. I I really like games. I like the way they structure stories. And I I think about it a lot. And I feel like you develop as an artist, because I think playing a role-playing game very specifically is an act of artistic expression. You develop as an artist as you see how other artists go about doing the thing that you do. You you learn from those experiences and, and you develop your own instrument and tool set. So while I, I don't want to say like I've got the keys to the kingdom on narrative, buddies, like you, you better listen to me because I've been doing this a long time. I, I do think I have the words to break down my perspective and break down how I approach doing this thing. And That those words might be useful for helping people on their own journeys, explaining things that maybe they already do. That, oh, I already do this thing and that's just a way to, to put that into words so now I can intentionally think about it and practice it in a way that I couldn't before. So the Ultimate Narrative RPG Guide is me sort of going beat by beat And explaining different concepts that exist in storytelling uh, and different concepts that exist in role-playing and how they apply to one another. And then providing exercises similar to what I did in the first book to help people like gamify practicing uh, that part of the artistic pursuit. So for example, uh, one of the concepts that I bring up in the book is text, which in uh, like novels, uh, text is like literally the words that are written on the page. Or in a movie, text is the individual shots that you see, how those shots are lit, what the actors are saying, how they're saying those things. That is the indisputable truth of the story. And in a role-playing game, The text is what you say. Um, And what you say creates two kind of layered versions of fictional reality. One is the explicit reality, which is literally what is set at the table and what is fully recognized. I am playing a detective and that detective is in a tan trench coat. Uh, And with that, there is the implicit reality. So if I put my detective character in a seedy alleyway, um, We have our vision of the detective. We know they are in a tan trench coat uh, and we we know they're in an alley and that it is seedy. There's an implicit reality that gets created where in your head you might be thinking, oh, it's a seedy alleyway. This detective's trench coat is probably not pristine. It's probably dirty. Maybe, maybe it's a little tattered or frayed at the bottom. This detective probably looks older and haggard. You know, maybe they're in their forties, but they got that five o'clock shadow going. They've got wrinkles on their forehead, some salt and pepper in their hair, and and this this alley itself is like covered in puddles that reflect the the street lamps in a dramatic and shadowy cool way. And that's all stuff that exists and is part of the game but has not been brought into the explicit reality of the text like all of that just lives in our head and it doesn't become a part of the game and a part of the narrative uh for other people at the table until you introduce it to the text and like actually say yeah this detective looks haggard and and there are puddles all over this alleyway um and each new thing that you add develops the implicit reality in a more robust way. Um, so like, that's a thing that if you take a creative writing course, they will explain some version of that to you. Uh, people will explain that to you. If you do, you know, screenwriting or if you actually do a film production or something like they will explain that, like, yeah, the shots that you decide to show to the audience, inform their understandings of events and craft your overall narrative. And I'm just sort of taking those storytelling concepts that exist in other places and very explicitly tying them to what we do at the RPG table and trying to explain how that relationship works and then give people the ability to like actually develop that. So like there are exercises in the book that Try to get you to signal different things to a prospective audience based on the uh, items in the text in your implicit reality that you bring into the explicit reality. So I just want to give people the tools that they have to understand the very cool things that they're already doing and maybe like an easy way to kind of work on that and develop their own thing. Uh, and regretfully, that book will be called The Ultimate Narrative RPG Guide. So <laughs> I swear I'm just trying to like, explain my perspective and how my dumb brain works. And, and hopefully that will help other people do the things that, that they already probably do in a way that, that is more intentional and uh, you know, helps, them, helps them think about it from a particular angle.
0: Well, thank you for explaining that so well. I'm really, um, I ignore most GM advice, but then on the other hand, I also am not a very confident GM and I, I don't really feel like I know what I'm doing. So what? Uh, it would, yeah, no, I, I don't, I, I, you'll notice I very rarely GM, like I, I made two GM list systems. I LARP a lot. I'm like, okay, at am facilitating LARPs, although I'm not super confident there, but I'm, I'm working on it. But yeah, I, I almost never GM. Like, if it's a game that I really love and I really don't think that anyone else is going to GM it, then I will do it. But I'm, but I'm terrified too every time.
1: That's so. I, I had so much fun playing Kagamatsu with you. That's like, inter- I mean, you're just such a good player generally, and like that leads into GMing so so much.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, James. Well, this so there you go. That's why I like. That's why I like systems where we all just play. Um, and we can, we can get out of that, like, the, the terror seat that is GMing, but, um, but, but if we make it less terrifying, that's nice. And just, I, I think just giving name, giving name to what is happening, I think has value. Um, and the idea of like becoming a great GM and being like the best GM, I think is like that concept is what gives so many people GMing like nervousness around that anyway. So I just really like the idea of like, let's just kind of talk about it and discuss it rather than trying to like perfect this skill. Because um, it's actually something we do for fun, not uh, competitively. Yeah.
1: And I, like I try to emphasize that it's about expression, right? It's not necessarily about creating a, a, a strong narrative that that stands the test of time or whatever, because usually we're not doing role play as actual play like that's not people's most common experience of it so the thing that's important is that it feels creatively fulfilling to you and so this advice is like just trying to help you do that as effectively as you can so like in a certain way it is like oh how are we going to approach this skill um but it's it's about expression like this is where my words start to fail me because people can take art classes or or creative writing classes uh, and create uh, for the joy of creating that at the same time trying to improve their skills as an artist or as a writer so that that's that's kind of the modality that that like I want people to be in for this it's it's you know how how can I effectively express myself in a way that makes both me and my friends really happy? And also it's not just about GMing like all that, that stuff I said about text that's for players too. Like everybody's doing this one. We're all, we're all playing together. So everybody has the ability to express themselves during a game. And like, that's kind of really beautiful. Uh, And that's one of the reasons that I'm so grateful that you have made these GM-less systems that uh, pick up on all of the things that are very cool and that you're very good at uh, in the GM role and just allow you to play with them in a space that that makes you happy and feels good and safe.
0: Oh, yay. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's enough. That's enough (laughs) of that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I I didn't come here to get complimented. Uh, <laughs> we're done. Um, well,
1: I came here to promote my book <laughs> and give you compliments, and I'm all out of books to promote. <laughs>
0: um, James, it's been wonderful having you. Uh, it oh, seems, Alex, thank it, you. <laughs> it seems ridiculous to to ask you to tell my listeners where people can find you because they probably know because the uh, backstory is part of the one shot podcast network. Um, but, uh, but why don't you just go for it anyway?
1: Yeah, I'm James D'Amato. I'm the host of the one shot podcast, uh, and the campaign podcast. And you can find, uh, those shows at one shot podcast.com along with a, a wonderful collection of other RPG, mostly related shows, uh, it's it there there's good stuff on there uh if you do one thing please please check out campaign in our new skyjacks arc uh like i have put a lot personally into developing that and all of the performers have have put a lot into it and we're making something that i feel is like really special and i I just want to be able to share that with as many people as possible so if you're you are a backstory listener and you haven't tried that out uh, please give it a shot because uh, we we care about it very much
0: and it is it is very rich and very deep and very complex and also like still somehow manages to be really goofy, um, and <laughs> funny. So if, if you like any of those things, they will be they will be there for you. Um, and then go look at all the fan art on, on Twitter.
1: Is <laughs> good stuff.
0: Is is it's high quality content.
1: And then you get to read the spicy fan fiction too. That's also very
0: good. Are people already on that?
1: Oh yeah, wow. yeah. Oh,
0: thanks again to our guest for joining me and as always thank you for listening if you have thoughts on today's show you can always reach me at backstorypodcast at gmail.com or tweet at me at backstorycast or at my personal twitter at muscular pikachu As we mentioned in the episode, if you'd like some more great RPG-related shows, you can go to oneshotpodcast.com and listen to things like All My Fantasy Children. All My Fantasy Children is a character creation, world-building, and storytelling podcast powered by you. Each week, best friends Aaron cortana says and Jeff Stormer, former Backstory guest, take a listener-submitted prompt and, using some of their favorite tabletop RPGs, create an original fantasy character. They populate a shared universe, one story at a time and share laughs stories and verbal hugs along the way as you recall jeff is totally adorable and you will learn erin is too they used one of my prompts a while ago and it was really really lovely so like listen from the beginning in my opinion yeah check it out at one music for backstory is provided by Yujico the track is called thinking of you and you can find it by searching ujico wherever you get your chill beats talk to you later friends Thank you.